friends. I'm Tabby. And I'm Caitlin. And today we will be talking about A Court of Wings and Ruin. This is the main part of the episode. Um, If you need a synopsis of the book, just go listen to part one and we will give you one. It's it's a little everywhere, but (laughs) I mean, we tried to cut down a little bit because we felt like when we did Mist and Fury, um, maybe not everything that we included was super like necessary to your understanding. So we tried to trim this one down a little bit, but I highly recommend that you read the book if you have not, because Absolutely. our synopsis doesn't do it justice. Mm-hmm. So, so first we're going to start with like an overall rating, what yeah. we thought about it. Um, so I'm not going to lie. A Court of Wings and Ruin is not my favorite um in the series I really loved it the first time I read it but now that I've read it for the second time it's probably like bottom for me like last in line for me I'd give it like a like a three out of five I don't know it's still good it's just like ah, it's just so much like character building which is great but it's like she kind of saved all the crazy stuff for the very end Yeah. And it felt very, very jam packed. And so I agree with you. The first time that I read it, I liked it more. Um, I think the reason that we might not like it as much the second time around is because you end up skimming a lot because there's just quite a bit of filler. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I would, I was just, I found myself skimming a lot. I just wasn't interested in some parts the second time around because they weren't super important to the understanding of what was going on I also feel like some parts were just kind of lazily written (laughs) almost or like there wasn't really like a point to it um or it didn't really help the storyline and it also just raised a lot of questions as to like okay well if this happened like why did this happen like yeah um, and we're absolutely going to expand on some of those things that made us feel that way if I had to give it a rating I would probably give it like a four out of five just because of how much I love the series it's like it's hard for me to rate it below four but yeah like if we're like ranking of the series series, though yeah it is probably my my least favorite of the the series installments I agree yeah yeah fantastic book don't get me wrong like it's better than most books I've ever read Uh, (laughs) of the series though it's my least favorite of the series Agreed. Let's start things off on a high note. We're going to talk about some of the things that we love about this book. Um, so honestly, probably my favorite part uh, of the entire book was the High Lords meeting. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I loved that entire chapter of the book from the time we meet Helian to, you know, Tamlin just making a fucking guest appearance <laughs> that wasn't planned. It um, is so funny. Non-stop. The funniest thing I have ever read. And that's what I love about Sarah J. Mass is that like she will have like this super serious storyline going and then just like give us this like comedic break that we need. And so Tamlin freaking walking in and like <laughs> bashing on Feyre, bashing on Reese, like the fights that break out at the High Lords meeting, like that it's my favorite part of the book. I can't remember like word for word what Tamlin says, but <laughs> do you remember that noise that she makes like when she climaxes and I was just like bud and Reese is uh, he's upset Feyre she's feeling embarrassed she's like 
he's trying to like undermine me and like make me less credible to the other high lords here but she's like um she does a good job at like pretending like it doesn't bother her Um, just the audacity from tamlin (laughs) it's wild like if you guys if you need a reason to read this book like that's the only reason you need it's just you can stop reading after the high lords meeting and it's fine Uh, best part of the book also another thing that we really love about this book is the library that Reese has created like a a safe haven and a sanctuary for women who are abused um he just has basically created like this women's shelter and like gives them um somewhere to heal somewhere that they can be safe and also like something that they can do with their lives if they choose to they can choose to become priestesses if they want uh, or they can just work in the library he said some of some of them just work as acolytes so yeah, I think that was yeah super super special and again it just kind of shows like a soft spot for Resand. something else that I loved was the relationship between Nesta and Amran um so throughout the entire series like throughout the entire second book like everyone's like what like Pharaoh's always like what is Amran and they're like I don't know we never asked like, it's not polite <laughs> and then immediately Nesta's like okay but what are you and she's like you know what I'm glad you asked she still doesn't tell us yeah but but she's like you're brave though (laughs) but you're brave (laughs) oh yeah I do love that and Amarin acts as a mentor to Nesta throughout the whole book which I think gives Nesta like uh like something to grip onto like she she helps her find her footing in this new world that she's just been thrown into against her will and she's like, we're going to train you and, and you're going to learn how to control your powers. And, you know, we're going to take this situation and we're going to turn it into something that you control. It gives her structure so. that she needs. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so meaningful to Nesta because obviously she was completely like distraught that she and Elaine were kidnapped. And um, another thing is just. We don't love it, but I love the way it was written. Yeah, it's not that I love that it happened. It's just that I love everything that it was. Um, The Surreal and the Bone Carver both have beautifully written death scenes. And it's, they are so like emotional to me, especially the Surreals. It's a bit more drawn out. Um, It gives like this humanity to these creatures who are, old and powerful more powerful and and ancient than like Prithian itself and it's like that on its face is terrifying but this like these scenes humanize these creatures in a way that's it has you as the reader like you feel like you just lost a friend like Mm -hmm. it's very emotional both of their deaths are emotional the bone carvers is a little a little less Tragic, you feel like I guess for the bone carver because he like he wants he wants to see what's on the other side of death and so like yeah Vera gave that to him yeah and it's like so he's less like sacrificing himself the the serial straight up just sacrifices yeah. himself for Pharaoh which is <laughs> incredible uh, great <laughs> well and I think that just goes to show too like the impact that Pharaoh had on like the forgotten creatures of Prithian the serial like you said this great and powerful creature the bone carver like they were willing to lay down their lives because they knew how like how integral she was to the success of Prithian 
And it's been that way, even in the second book too, when she like during the tithe, she gives like the water wraith her jewels to pay her tithe. Like Feyre is very much, I think you even said this last episode, you were like, yeah, she's a high fae with a human heart. Mm-hmm. That impacts her, her influence on the world and on these creatures that basically everyone kind of writes off as being like these horrible like creatures that you know you just kind of avoid um she builds friendships with them she bonds with them and that's something that no one else does well and I mean that's even why like Parkwood is so drawn to her too is because he wants the same thing and so like she has such a way of like creating bonds that she doesn't even mean to yeah and it's like it's really speaks to her character um Feyre is is just a beautiful character I think she's a great hero or heroine in a novel and I think that especially in this book you see her having to make like some choices to like protect her own court and her own family and you're like oh so she also has like this we'll call it like a a ruthless side for lack of a better word but like she will protect what's hers. Like, you know, she'll be generous and loving and kind if you are not harming people. But the second you start like acting, acting up, (laughs) Miss Pharaoh is going to put her foot down. Right. Uh, I love that about her. Um, Some stuff that kind of stood out to us um, in this book. Well, for me specifically is Lucian and the theories behind his magical eye that he has so like throughout all these books like whenever Lucian is described like his golden eye that he has is always kind of attached to that description and so in the first book I always kind of thought it was weird how Farah could tell like it was watching her even when he wasn't watching her and so on page 30 um Farrah kind of asks, you know, the golden eye narrowed, clicking softly. And she said, what do you even see with that thing? And he didn't answer. And then later on, on page 339, Lucian said, this eye, and he gestured to his metal eye. He said, it can see things that others can't. Spells, glamours, perhaps it can help me find her and break her curse. So I think that is super weird and it kind of plays into the idea that Lucian wasn't buying like Farrah's light at all yeah Um, so she she had her her tattoo glamoured yes and so like if he can see through glamours then he knew this entire time that Farah was not like her mating bond was not broken I mean not only was her story not adding up but he could see that she had this tattoo that was a matching one to the the one that Reese gave her under the mountain he was like why do you have that tattoo and why is it glamoured um so yeah, immediately Lucian was like Farah. I can. Tell I also just think the story behind <laughs> the eye is really cool. So we meet Nuon um, at the High Lords meeting. She is like an old friend of his from the Summer Court, um, and we later find out she is the one who is the inventor of this prosthetic eye, and that she kind of specializes in this area. And so, if you think back to Book One, um, Lucian was saying he is loyal to Tamlin because. He risked a lot to basically go to the summer court, get this brand new eye for Lucian. Um, But when they're at the High Lords meeting, um, it says, Nuon nodded once in confirmation, her lips pressing into a thin line as she took in Lucian's family. She didn't so much as turn in Tamlin's direction, and he certainly didn't bother to acknowledge her, regardless of the past finding them and their mutual friend. So there's kind of like this animosity between 
Nuon and Tamlin and Lucian is this middleman between them. Yeah, if L- Lucian and Nuon have like this friendship that's been like sustained over the years, like maybe she has heard through the grapevine like how Lucian fled the spring court and she's like, well, there must be a reason. Yeah. Um, I don't really know like what the specific beef would be between Nuon and Tamlin, but they clearly were like, Nuon was like, I am loyal to Lucian and therefore I'm mad at you. And Tamlin was like, I'm mad at Lucian and therefore like I'm mad at you. So they just were like <laughs> full mess. Yeah. It was interesting. Um, it stood out to me when I was reading it and I was yeah. like, kind of weird that like they're mad at each other, but okay. <laughs> but I think that just goes to show that like, even though <clears throat> Lucian made bad choices in the second book, like he always had like this deeply ingrained loyalty to Feyre. And that could just be because Elaine was tied to Feyre, but he at least, you know, had the backbone to not turn her in while she was there. The other thing, and the next thing I should say that stood out to us was Miriam and Draken just kind of showed up Yeah, uh, during the last battle. They were like, uh, so Draken was explaining that like, he that they heard that Highburn was attacking and that Jurian was resurrected and so then they came and it's like how did you hear that who'd you hear that from because their island was glamored so that when Reese like they tried to go find them and ask them for help in the war but it was glamored so well that like it worked against their friends too so like who, who told them <laughs> who told you it just it doesn't add up We have an idea of what might have happened, if you want to talk about that. Yeah, so, like, the only theory I can think of as to why they would know about it is if you think back to the night that the cauldron, like, woke up Feyre, Nesta, Amran, and Elaine, like, the night Elaine was kidnapped, they, like, felt, like, this disturbance, like, the cauldron was calling to them, and it, Amran said it was because they had all been made, and so I'm wondering if it woke up Miriam as well, because she is also a half fae that was remade into a full high fae and so I'm wondering if maybe she felt that disturbance too and that kind of tipped them off to being like there being something weird going on yeah so maybe like if that woke Miriam maybe they sent someone specifically to go investigate like kind yeah. of like a spy or something That's um, besides like they're like Farrah's dad somehow getting a message yeah, from him. <laughs> but that doesn't quite make sense to me because why would he know where they're at? Because right. the island's glamored. So yeah, it's like, I feel like your your theory makes more sense than anything else, but it's definitely something that wasn't- It could either just be like so. lazy writing or something it else happened. But that's kind of unlike our girl. I know. You know? Um, yeah, so just some background um, that we find out in this book about Miriam is that she died during the last battle of like the original war. And Draken knew of this secret hidden island called Critia. And there was an item there that was forged by the cauldron. It was powerful enough to revive her. So he took her there and used that item to resurrect her. Um, something that's later like revealed by Azriel a little bit more to the story is that there was a seraphim cartographer named Nefel who when Miriam went down um she was in danger of drowning so Nefel like who has never really like flown before 
somehow like the adrenaline rush or something like allowed her to scoop up Miriam and fly her out of there so she doesn't get like swept up by the sea. So that was Azriel's little inspirational story that he gave to Pharaoh when she was trying to learn really how to cute. fly. It was. Um, something else that I noticed in the book that just does, it does not make any sense to me is Feyre's dad freeing Vasa. So if you'll remember in the second book, um, when Feyre and the inner circle show up to the, the human realm the first time, she's like, where's dad? And they're like, oh, he is meeting with some merchants in the, on the continent, um, about like a threat to the human realm from Prithian. And so we were like, mm, that's weird that other people know about it, but whatever. So don't hear anything from Fair's dad. And then all of a sudden he just shows up with a whole army and has met with Lucian, has freed Vasa, the stolen queen, by making a bargain with her keeper. Um, basically, it's just like, you know, who told him first of all like I still want to know how they heard about this threat from Prithian how did he know that there was going to be a war how did he know where they were supposed to be for it how did he come across Lucian (laughs) like there's so many questions I have about how Feyre's dad got involved and we were also talking um so Tabby and I were talking about this last night actually when we were discussing like he freed Vasa, who was sold out to some like old death god, he freed her temporarily from her captor. How? Like, yeah, what is he bargaining? Yeah, what did he offer to this old death god that he was like, sure, you can take my captive, have fun, see you later? Like, what on earth? Add up, unless he was like, I will trade my life in this war for her, but it's like, why? But yeah, why would, why would the death God care about that? Like, like how much of a role did Vasa even play? Like, did she provide people for him? Is that what it was? Or yes, like, okay. I, I believe so. Like her, her people in her territory were like okay. the soldiers that came. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't sense. make any sense. <laughs> um, And it leads us to um, some of our other theories we've talked about, maybe of how uh, potentially the Archeron mother was involved okay. or related or descended from Faye. And so like, if she had some kind of like knowledge that she passed on to her husband before she died maybe like he was in contact with someone yeah or if she's a seer which we'll talk about um but yeah it's it's odd for sure um another just like just a little tidbit uh as we were recording the synopsis we were like interesting that the king just kind of like snaps striga's neck like immediately she doesn't see it coming she doesn't fight him off um because she is an old death god she's an old death god she is a cold-blooded killer she loves to just kill and he just literally walks up to her and snaps her neck okay There's no way she just dies that easy same thing with the king of hybrid like elaine just like sneaks up on him and stabs him in the neck it's like yeah he, he's been around for how many freaking centuries and then fucking elaine yeah 
just pulls a fast one on literally it. walks up behind him like i'm sorry don't you have the cauldron like snaking its little slithery fingers around yeah, you're like telling me it didn't see well i mean i guess at that time though it was leaking no it wasn't even no. leaking at that Fuck, i don't know like that Aaron hadn't cool. even gone in it yet it doesn't uh, make sense that makes no sense um we digress so <laughs> this is just this next thing is just kind of like um, a little bit of history about Prithian. So Cassian and Feyre go to visit the bone carver and Cassian's explaining to her that there was life before the High Lords took over Prithian. Old gods, we call them. They ruled the forests and the rivers and the mountains. Some were those things. Then the magic shifted to the High Fae, who brought the cauldron and the mother along with them. And though the old gods were still worshipped by a select few, most people forgot them. And I have like a little bit of a um, uh, point of, of confusion <laughs> stemming from that. Say the, least. <laughs> the High Fae, they at least claim in their, I guess, religion, if, if we're going to call it that, that the cauldron is kind of what forged the world. And like the mother would be, I guess, like kind of like the creator or like the, the God in that situation. So how is that congruent with the old gods existing in Prithian in the same timeline as the high fae like the bone carver is supposedly an old god striga is an old god and they have a brother who's an old god somewhere in Prithian and they're like all existing together at the same time so the only three I kind of thought of that would make sense is like so what if like because you know how the humans worship the old they used to worship the old gods before the wall so like what if the humans were there first they had their old gods and then what if like the fae came through the rift that like amran came through and like when they came through they brought the like the cauldron and the original like high fae with them i would accept that just because yeah because clearly like things did come through the rift yeah um so I would totally accept that. Um, The only thing that's like another, like a little bit of confusion is I think like what was supposed to have caused the rift was the cauldron, right? The cauldron like pouring its power out was like what created those rifts. So that's an interesting. Well, I mean, that would make sense. That would kind of make sense, though, if the cauldron was causing the rift. So, like, what if the cauldron was, like, creating a whole different, like, realm, I guess, that the Fae existed in, and it caused that rift, and, like, some of them came through it to something that already existed, which was Prithian. And Uh they realized that the humans were there and that they were stronger than them and basically took over, like, made them their slaves and, like, instilled in them the idea of, like, the cauldron in their religion. That is, is an interesting, like explanation for it yeah i do wish that she would like sarah J would give like an official explanation maybe Um, she will the next one i don't know maybe i hope so but it's also it is kind of fun to just like yeah but i mean that's the only thing that kind of makes sense in my head because like i said like if you haven't read any of her other books like that it's an ongoing theme like different universes and stuff so could yeah. be. Yeah. So I like, I'm definitely willing to accept that for now and, yeah. and move on. <laughs> in my head. 
Um, some other, you know, just kind of moving on from things that we notice. I also want to talk a little bit about characters and some of the relationships that we see built throughout the the series or this book specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk about Lucian and Feyre? Yeah, so Lucian and Feyre, um, while she is in the spring court, like kind of spying, she and Lucian actually have like some bonding moments that are like pretty genuine. Um, she still plans to like leave him there, but <laughs> she's like, um, she's talking with him and Lucian tells her, he's like, I was the first to return when that day that you left. Um, I found your Melton engagement ring, but I hid it so that Tamlin wouldn't find it. And wow. he's, yeah, it's it's clear that he's also kind of trying to like feel out if she'll be honest about, um, you know, like the night court at that point. But she's like, no, yeah, they melted it off my finger. And he's like, okie dokie. So <laughs> um, whenever they return home from that day, like Pharaoh's really sore from riding a horse because she hasn't done that in a long time. So Lucian's kind of helping her off the horse and they were walking into the house together. He's telling her about the night of Kalanmai. Tamlin refused to participate in the rite. And so Lucian actually had to perform the rite. And it was with Ianthe. And he literally hates her guts. So <laughs> Farah, she tells him, like, she's really sorry. And she wishes that he could have been there to stop it. And Lucian says, you're a better friend to me, Farah, than I ever was to you. And so that's kind of yeah. like the first, yeah. Um, that's the first, like, that's the first time he's ever, like, admitted that to her, but I think he's felt that way. Do you know what's uh, funny about Cal and my, though, that I saw? Oh, yeah. I, like, watched this TikTok, and it was, like, does anyone else think it's super freaking weird that they have, like, this whole ritual where they, like, he gets to just steal, like, some random woman because, like, the moon or whatever fucking told him he could. Like, oh. no one else does that. Except for the spring court. And, like, I feel like they're just out here making their own rules. Like, (laughs) he's like, I can sleep with any woman I want. And then they have the tithe. Like, no one else does a tithe. Like, just because we can. Like, it kind of feels like maybe they're, like, kind of outdated things that the spring court still does. Maybe. Like, because they seem kind of barbaric in nature. Yeah, they do. Is Um, it because, I wonder if it's because they're just, like, so freaking far away from, like, any other They are the furthest south. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Like, Lucian was like, I guess I'll step in, but. The politics in Prithian, like, they're just, the spring court's conservative and, like, resistant to change. And the night court is liberal. Yeah. And so, honestly, so is, so summer court. Good for them. Yeah. Yeah, they're, well, yeah, that's, there are some courts that are clearly more progressive than others. That's interesting. Yeah, like autumn court and spring court are certainly more conservative. Yeah. Hmm. I've never really thought about it that way, but that is kind of how it plays out. I like that. Um, yeah. So um, again, some more like developments in Feyre and Lucian's relationship. Feyre does, as she's fleeing home to the night court, she realizes Lucian's in distress and she actually like risks her like escape to go back and save him um as they're like fleeing Farah has literally like smashed the fuck out of Ianthe's hand <laughs> and murdered uh, yeah, and, and Lucian's like you were right that girl I knew under the mountain died and she was like I tried to tell you yeah. 
um so yeah they uh on page 115 they're like fleeing to go to the night court but they're they have to like stay in a cave overnight so they're like huddling for warmth they're freezing they don't have their powers and lucian said you left us and pharaoh's like he said us like he didn't say you left Tamlin he said you left us and so she responds to him she's like I told you that day in the woods you abandoned me long before I ever physically left she's Mm -hmm. like don't try to put this on me yeah how dare you you fucked up but their friendship does heal when they get to the night court um she knows Lucian's distraught about the mating bond situation so she tells him like the story of how she fell in love with with Reese and came to realize what a good man he was and that he was the one for her trying to like kind of you know give him hope and their friendship really strengthens obviously when Lucian takes a part in uh fighting Highburn he volunteers to go to the continent and- the emissary yeah their friendship really it gets healed in this novel the next and biggest one obviously is Faisan it's Farah and Reese's relationship it's unbreakable even in death <laughs> Chapter 14. Caleb has written here that chapter 14 is better than chapter 55. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but <laughs> my do. jaw is on the floor. I know. I do love their reunion though. It is so freaking sweet. And I would like I I talked about it a little bit in part one, but just the fact that when she gets home, first of all, Reese drops to his knees. He bows before his high lady. Love that. That's cute. But also it's like, he finally gets her alone and she's like, do you want me to tell you about everything that happened? He was like, fuck no. Like I'm trying to be with my wife here. And like, it just reminds me so much of how when Feyre was living in the spring court, every time she'd come home from the night court, Lucian or not Lucian Tamlin, would like basically lock her in his study and be like, tell me every single thing that you learned five times so we can write it down, (laughs) (laughs) chop it down. And so just like the difference between the two, like Resand is truly, you know, someone who cares for Feyre, whereas Tamlin was just trying to benefit from the information she collected. And so I thought that was super freaking cute. Um, It was also just like a nice little spicy moment between the two. Like, oh yeah. Loved it. It's, chocked full of tension he draws her a bubble so, bath and- yeah he draws her a bath because she has just like been in a in a fight like she stinks. just fought for her life and he draws her a bubble bath and then watches her bathe from from the doorway like guys it was guys, nice i'm telling you like it's fine that you don't agree but it's better it's than not- 55 in my opinion i will die on this hill that's fine. I, I agree to disagree. I like chapter 55 better because you get backstory about Resand, and I really like that. And you can, obviously we knew he was, you know, just a person who had been through a lot, but I like the, the character building of Resand in chapter 55. That's I do fair. like the tension in chapter 14 though. Yeah. And also just like how you can tell how deep their love goes mm-hmm. for each other. Like it's, 
my heart swells reading about their reunion. It's beautiful. Chapter 14 is beautiful, yeah, because it's, like, the first time since they've mated that they get to, like, spend the night together. Like, wake up in the same bed together. Like, well, I mean, I'm sure they've gotten to spend the night together before that, but, like, Reese had moved all of her stuff in there, and then the next, like, that night, he was yeah. like, let's go take care of this shit with the priestess, and then she was gone the next day. Yeah, so, like, it was, like, their this- first time together in their in their new life that they yeah. were like they had decided like we're getting married like we're in love right and this is our bedroom and then yeah you're right okay so chapter 18 Reese and Feyre are talking things got tense because he insulted Nesta and so he's like apologizing for that and Feyre says I didn't mean to undermine you and he's like it doesn't matter like we're with our family and so she was like well I won't undermine you and you won't undermine me when we're in public like we can um call each other out on our bullshit in front of our family but if we're in front of other people we need to be a unified front so they agree to do that and Reese is like of course we'll do that because you're my equal and that's like something that she never had with Tamlin. Yeah, so, I hate the idea of the unified front though thing because that's what Tamlin and like I Anthony all of them always used to say. And I'm I know, <laughs> but here it's like a, a matter of like mutual respect. Right. So I think it is different. And and also Reese is like I will fight like with everything that I have to ensure that we're happy. And Farah's like not just you, like not just you anymore. Like we will fight. Quit taking everything on yourself. That was one thing about their relationship that, like, I didn't necessarily love throughout the book. Like, they were both just so, like, self-sacrificial throughout the entire story. And it's like, if Pharaoh wasn't trying to, like, do something to get herself killed, Reese was like, don't (laughs) worry, like, I'll do it. Yeah, my turn. Like, no, like, we we need each other and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but the first chance they get, they're like, I'll fucking throw myself off this cliff right now. I get it because, like, we knew, like, she was alluding to it the whole story, when especially when the bone carver was like, yeah, and somebody has to die to (laughs) hold them back together. It's like, cool, someone's going to (laughs) die. Who will it be? Reese and Farrah are, like, drawing straws. And the whole time Reese is like, I will put myself in front of any of these family members. I'm like, cool, so Reese is going to sacrifice himself. Awesome. Yeah, I hate that. So, oh, wow. Whenever they go back to the Court of Nightmares for the first time, there's only one throne. So, Reese, he leads Feyre right up. She takes a seat and he just perches on the armrest and he's like, I'm assuming there's just one throne because our like visit was unannounced, but like, how dare you? The disrespect. Speaking of disrespect, um, the amount of times they freaking boned while people were dying around them was insane. It happened on two separate occasions. At least two. <laughs> like, there could be times that we don't know about. And Sarah J. Mass felt the need to write that into the story. That has always just freaking wowed me. Is like, the first time, like, yeah, and we made love to the sounds of the dying. And it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. So the first time it happens, like, the literally the next opening line like after they bone is only a few more Illyrians died during the night yeah like, while you were talking like ex- what do you use me excuse me we're just gonna say that right now it's, like, yeah, I it's get you guys are like under pressure and stuff and that's totally cool nobody's making fun of you but like to <laughs> the sounds of the dying yeah mm-hmm yeah you need a like you can abstain for one night at least 
like oh my god (laughs) yeah um oh so okay so later on when elaine gets kidnapped by the the cauldron's power pharaoh is immediately jumping into action she's like i have a plan we have to go get my sister and not for one moment did reese say like no you can't do that no he was hyping her the fuck up he was like you got it. Like you're strong. You're powerful. You're gonna he do was it. Strong. You was kind. You was impotent. You is impotent, Feyre. And you are. You are gonna like pull this off, Queen. He was like, pop off. Be safe. I love you. I'll miss you. And uh, Tamlin, on the other hand, was always like, leave the house. Are you joking me? How stupid are you? (laughs) And like, honestly, the ending of the book is my favorite face and like character development. Like they finally get the opportunity to live their lives freely. Obviously there's still, there's still some stuff going on that they need to resolve, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, the the main threat is gone. They can be free and fly with each other and so freaking cute. And that's just so meaningful to both of them because like we talked in the um about in a court of mist and fury how the wings like symbolized freedom for both of them and reese used to fly through the night sky with his mom yeah and Feyre like the the wings like symbolized like her gaining independence throughout the second novel so like that being the ending of this book was just like chef's kiss yes um, some other characters that I want to talk about. So the one thing I do love about this book is that there are a lot of either new characters introduced or minor characters from the first couple of books that were reintroduced in this one that became like more of a, a key component. The first one that I I love this character and I know no one else does is Eris. Um, his character is so freaking interesting to me because like he, first of all, just kind of appears out of nowhere and everyone hates him. He's like against Farrah. He tries to like freaking kill her. And then all <laughs> of a sudden he's working with them. Some switches flipped and we'll talk about the theories a little bit too, because Reese essentially was like, Eris is a fucking dead man. And then the next thing we know, he's working with him, has partnered with him in the human city. So obviously it starts out rough. He attacks Farrah and Lucian, Cassian and Asriel save the day. Um, freaking stab him in the gut he survives because he's kind of a cockroach Um, (laughs) (laughs) but then in chapter 26 that's when he forms an alliance with reese in exchange for the night court support when he makes his bid for the throne so still obviously doing everything for ulterior motives however i think resand allows him to do this because he's been able to look inside um, Eris's mind and can see something that he trusts. I think Eris allowed him to see maybe what really happened the night of Mori's like I agree. disposal. And so I really do think Eris is a good, a good male as they call oh. them. Um, and I hadn't thought of that, but I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Obviously he doesn't always make like the <laughs> best choices and <laughs> Yeah. Like he he can be kind of a dick, but like you. <laughs> but this is winter time, and it's the forest, and so. it's the forest. Um, on page two seventy four, though, Eris he was basically telling him the night that just Jasminda died that there were other forces at work that you never considered, um, and I'm not going to waste my breath explaining them to you. Believe what you want about me. So, Eris actually ends up helping Lucian escape to the Spring Court after his brothers killed Jasminda, and. 
Lucian just chooses to like kind of leave that out <laughs> whenever talking about Eris. Yeah, because uh, Eris is like explaining this to them and he's like, I wasn't there when they killed her. Like ask right. him, like ask Lucian. And, Lucian and just like, oh, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> Lucian, why didn't you like say that? Yeah. And so like basically Eris is the whole reason that Lucian is able to even make it to the spring court to Tamlin's protection. Um, Eris kind of risked his ass to make sure that Lucian didn't die. And so really just not the bad guy that that he was made out to be. And then also just talking about, um, this is on page 276. Um, Basically he's just spilling his guts the entire chapter, like (laughs) trying to convince he's not a bad person. This is regarding the situation with Moore. Whenever they're talking about it, a shadow crosses Eris's face. And he said, there are things I regret. That is one of them. But perhaps one day, now that we are allies, I shall tell you why, what it cost me. So that's why I think Reese looks into his mind and like what Eris actually sacrificed to make sure that Moore got her independence, essentially. Um, Because once Moore was dumped onto the Autumn Court's property, like it was no longer her parents' responsibility. And I think that allowed Cassian and Asriel to come in and rescue her and take her to Valaris. Mm -hmm. And so even though Eris, you know, doesn't really make a point to point that out, I, I do think he played a big role in her independence. Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of the last thing that that we notice that like shows kind of a, a little window into his soul that like maybe he's not as big of an asshole as you'd think. So Nuon's explaining that she's created an antidote to Feybane and um, Baron's like, I'm not going to take that. You're going to poison me. And Eris is like, uh, I'll take it. Like, thank you for doing that. You're awesome. Wish someone would. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, Farah is like her inner monologue is like, you know, going at this point. And she's like, it was the most decent I'd ever heard him sound. Eris might have grown to be a good male if he'd had a different father. Baron sucks. And like, he he's, he's really like trying to ruin Eris. But, you know, maybe maybe Eris is uh, not that bad. And he's going to come through. I mean, because their mom is a freaking like angel. Yeah. And so I, I feel like his mom probably played a big role in like why he's not a con- a complete fuck up. Same with Lucian, honestly. And like the thing is with it, their mom is like, she is just, she is so powerless against her husband and he like treats her like absolute garbage. Abuses her. Um, yeah. And uh, did they say that the abuse didn't start until he discovered she had an affair? Yeah. Okay. And Helian was talking about like how he wanted to like rescue her from Baron basically, but couldn't just due to politics and stuff. Once Baron figured that out, that's when he started like trapping her in the autumn court and like beating her and yeah. Big yikes. Pretty bruised ego. Um. Yeah. But I, I am excited to see Eris's continued development. Um, obviously she's introduced him as a pretty important side character. So he'll be making a comeback in the future books. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So the next character we're going to talk a little bit about is Elaine. And <laughs> we hate Elaine and we will have more to say about her in the future. Um, but for now, we'll talk about her in this novel. She starts off concerning everybody. (laughs) So on page 286, uh, Elaine came down the stairs because she heard something. So at this point, they're all downstairs, but Feyre has like a wall up to like keep their noise from leaving because Amron's like telling secrets. (laughs) So uh, Elaine didn't hear them. So she was like, I think I was dreaming. 
Uh, I think I'm always dreaming these days. I can hear her crying. Everyone thinks she's dead, but she's not. Only different, changed as I was. And they're like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So they ask what she saw. And she's like, I saw young hands wither with age. I saw a box of black stone. I saw a feather of fire land on snow and melt it. And they're like, okay, that answers that. Um, Go to sleep. (laughs) And on page 301, she's at it again. And she's like, twin ravens are coming, one white and one black. (laughs) But it turns out uh, on page 319, um, the king's ravens come to try and kidnap Nesta. And so Pharaoh's like, oh, like she's, she's seeing the future. So once they figure that out, Elaine's like, yes, like that's what's happening. And so she's talking about, she's having another vision and she's like, the queen might come, the queen with the feathers of flame. And Azriel's like, that's Vasa, like the sixth queen. And they're like, cool. So that's whenever they're like, this power could be useful. Like maybe this could be to our benefit. Do you notice the wording on that, though, where it says the queen might come? So, like, something changed in the future. Like, something, like, tipped it one way or the other to make sure that her dad was able to free her briefly from... Hmm. Interesting. I wonder if we'll ever get more information about that, about Mm -hmm. how he freed her. It's just weird that she said the queen might come. No, you're right. Because with the, the raven, she said twin ravens are coming. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't say they might come. <laughs> so something tipped the scales to where it made it happen that her father was able to bring her. Interesting. Put that in your pocket. Save it for a rainy. And day. I already put it on my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. Write that so, down. <laughs> over time, like whenever they finally realize, like, oh, she's a seer. I think maybe she starts to feel like heard, maybe, um, and a little less crazy. Question mark. She starts to become like a little bit normal again. Nuala and Caridwin are teaching her to cook. Um, I'll let you kind of... Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's no fucking way you go from being batshit crazy to normal overnight. And like, I think she's faking it. And I It was an act. Yeah, I can't tell you. I can't explain why. But I do think Elaine is evil and we will cover it later. But I don't trust her. Nuala and Caridwin like start teaching her how to like cook. And by cook, I think they mean spying because mm-hmm. they are literally Azriel's trained <clears throat> spies. And so I feel like they have been like training Elaine in secret, like how to do shady shit. And um, Elaine's also been going out of her way to like spend time with Azriel when he offers yes. like, get closer to Azriel. Because like she was like a freaking nut job. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden she was fine. After, like, and then she was kidnapped by Highburn and like didn't really panic the way I thought she would. She's yeah. just like, oh, hey, you guys are here. That's great. Yeah. And like, that was it. And like, she can literally see stuff coming. And it's like, you didn't see anything. Like you didn't see anything else with Highburn. That was it. Yeah. And I know the cauldron had some stuff to do with it, mm-hmm. but. But at the same time, her gift is literally from the cauldron. So I like. Know. It's like, why wouldn't she, like, why wouldn't she be able to see it? And then, like, she just fucking kills the King of Hyber and, like, no big deal. Like, just Mm -hmm. stabs him in the neck. Like, there's no way freaking lobotomized Elaine over here (laughs) is able to, like, pick up truth seeker, whatever the fuck it's called, and stab him through the neck. Yeah, literally, these are, like, the high fae are creatures that can, like, 
they can fucking smell the fear on each other. They can smell arousal on each I other. I don't buy and it she for just a second. Snuck up behind him like unnoticed and stabbed him in the neck. Unless she knows how to glamour herself all of a sudden. That doesn't make sense. Or she's in on it with the King of Highburn or whoever like helped the King of Highburn. And we'll talk about this in Silver Flame. It, it goes all the way up to the top here. <laughs> it goes all the way to the top. I don't trust Elaine. I don't either. No. Yeah. Too many things happened that didn't make sense with her. Uh, 100%, 100%. I agree with you. That's my soapbox, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk more about Elaine in the future. The next character, I wanted to focus on Ianthe. Um, She's just kind of a, a rat bitch. Like, I don't know. She's... <laughs> Little crusty ass, wretched ass. Little crusty ass. So she's just such a pick me girl. Like, <laughs> literally made this whole grand show of like not trusting Hybrid and like orchestrating this whole heist to like show strength and like literally got innocent people beat in the courtyard for no reason. Mm-hmm. Has no power. Um, they even say that on like the beginning of the book on page 13. I've never seen Ianthe summon any greater power than igniting a ball of Feylight in the room. Um, she like planned her whole grand entrance like on the solstice and had to mark spots in the grass to stand so that the sun like rose directly behind her. And then she didn't do anything in this book she showed up somehow managed to <clears throat> capture surreal that's probably the only thing that probably stood out to me is that she did snare surreal oh actually real new though that yeah yeah never mind yeah she didn't do anything um, <laughs> yeah no she's she's not impressive at all and then just ran right into the weaver's cottage i think it was a dumbass and literally the only thing that she ever did was betray Feyre, and then tamlin was yeah. just like it's okay yeah, well, I mean, she also betrays Tamlin. It's just that he's yeah. too dumb to, like, like, realize. Um, yeah, so, hate her guts. Um, the only thing that I loved about her in this book was the fact that she had a, she a horrible, brutal death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? Like, I really thought they were going to build up Ianthe a little differently, if I'm being honest. Um, they made her, like, seem this, like, this super conniving, vengeful priestess and like made it sound like all the other high priestesses like didn't really trust her and so I was really hoping we'd build more on that story about like why they don't trust her and like how she ended up in the position that she was in like how she met the king of hybrid over in Balahan and like we just don't really get that and then I feel like she just kind of killed her off because she didn't really play a role anymore yeah and like that's fair I guess if like, she's not going to be a problem in the future, like, yeah, but yeah, it would be interesting to know a little more of the backstory there, because clearly she's been plotting for a long time, like, she's been trying to seduce high lords and their sons, like, she's been power hungry, literally, I mean, I'm not going to say her whole life, but like, at least most of it, most of her adult fey life, she's been trying to be like, in charge somehow. She's conniving. Hater. Glad she's dead. <laughs> Moving on. R- rest in not peace. <laughs> pieces. Rest in pieces. So Tamlin. Tamlin Tam- has quite the redemption arc in this novel, but we start off hating his. It starts off rough. <laughs> he is still that like completely like love sick. Um, 
like mentally ill. Absolute fool. (laughs) An absolute fool. He explodes the room, um, injuring Feyre. It shouldn't shield herself. And he immediately is remorseful or at least like acts like it. And Feyre's like, I think he realized that like, if I wasn't high Faye, like that could have killed me. The thing is though, if he was truly sorry, he wouldn't like, have done it. He wouldn't have, <laughs> he wouldn't have done it. Cause this is the second time he's done it. He cannot control his temper for shit. He at the high Lord's meeting, <laughs> good Lord. He is out, out of way. control. <laughs> yeah. He, like you were saying, he like is taunting Reese and Feyre about like the fact that he has also slept with Feyre. He knows it, her very intimately. <laughs> And he also, like, whenever, at this point, before he was at this meeting, he didn't know that Pharaoh was high lord of the night, or sorry, high lady of the night court. And so he's like, oh, like, oh, so it wasn't enough for you to, like, be married to me? Uh, you had to be, like, high lady. So he, like, accuses her of being power hungry. And she's like, are you, are you for real right Stop now? fuck up, Kyle. She's like, I didn't even ask for this. It was literally just my my destiny, okay? <laughs> um, but, you know, he has that redemption. He rescues Feyre uh, as they're nice. rescuing Elaine. And also the the revival of Reese whenever he says, be happy, Feyre. Um, it was a really cute moment. It is. Life. It's very sweet. But then at the same time, it's like, is that enough from him? Mm-mm. to like forgive him I even wrote down like at no point in time has he actually apologized for anything that he's done all mm-hmm. like I, I know he revived Reese and like that's awesome and that's great that's a huge character development for him but he still has never apologized to Farah, and I don't think he will because I don't think he thinks he's wrong yeah no I think he's too he's too proud to even like consider that he could be the one in the wrong. Like, I think his behavior at the meeting with the high Lords, I think he kind of believed like every single insult he was throwing out. He was like, I'm right. You're wrong. I'm good. You're evil. And that's just, I was surprised that he even showed up to help them. Although I do like, I do think it's great that he had this whole plan that he had kept to himself. He's like, yeah, I'm doing this so I can like spy on Highburn. But it's like, you got to tell other people though. (laughs) Yes. But the thing is, he doesn't trust anyone else because he's isolated himself. But it's just like, nobody knew that. And that's why you weren't invited today. (laughs) Yeah. So he, he is very much like, he's completely foolish, but he's not stupid. Like he, He knew what he was doing and he had a plan, but he just is so like one track minded. Like he can't like, he can't see things like outside of his own like scope of how he's viewing the world and like what things should be in his perfect little universe. And so he's just like, he's literally blindsided whenever Pharaoh leaves his court again. Like, are you that dumb? Like, come on, man. Literally everybody else saw it for what it was worth. (laughs) Lucian, Jurian, the incestuous twins. I am. The incestuous twins were there for two seconds and they were like, yeah, we got to get this bitch drugged immediately. (laughs) Yeah, she is a, a threat. Oh my God. Wow. He's dumb. But we do, we do at least forgive him a little bit. He should apologize still. 
Anyway, I'm I'm interested to see Tamlin's continued development. Um, again, we are unfinished. I think with the the other High Lords, they kind of made that clear that there was a lot of rebuilding that they'll need to do, and it's going to require all the help of the High Lords. So I do think again, Tamlin will be returning to the the future books. Um, how helpful will he be? That remains to be seen. We'll see. Um, <laughs> Looking at the inner circle, I want to talk about Asriel. I loved Asriel's development in this book. And I even said, like, in the last book that, like, he's a cool character, but, like, Cassian kind of outshone him in the second book with his (laughs) relationship with Vera. But Asriel steps up in this book. So, um, obviously him and Cassian come to save Feyre and I literally sobbed real tears whenever <laughs> he landed in the snow she's like oh it's Asriel I'm like oh it's Asriel our king um, our king I was so excited some of the like major points in this book like between him and Feyre first one is you know him volunteering to show her how to fly um flying in his Illyrian heritage is a really big pain point for Asriel um and so the fact that he was the first to like volunteer just shows that he wants to be able to relate to Feyre and show her that like even though she's starting you know at an older age like he did it she can do it and he's the perfect person to train her how to do it um he stands up for her at the High Lords meeting. So obviously he was a little on edge. Everyone was a bit on edge. But the second that Tamlin starts spouting off some bullshit, he's like, don't talk about my high lady like that. And immediately goes up to bat for her. And I think that's really awesome. And the fact that she makes a spot for him at the table and he is just so willing to, you know, kind of bend to what she needs. He's a good friend. Also with Elaine, you know, I think part of that was for selfish reasons why he would so desperately (laughs) wanted to be the one to go rescue Elaine. It's pretty clear that he has a soft spot for her. Eh, I think she's fooling him. I think she's fooling him because he is a gentle giant um, who just wants love desperately. Yeah, I think he (laughs) just he needs love because he never never had it it. Um, his whole life. I really hope she's not trying to pull a fast one on my boy ass. I'll fight her. Um, I will literally reach I will for end these pages. Her. <laughs> but the, the development between the two of them was awesome. And I really hope Asriel eventually gets his own book. Um, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but he just has such an interesting backstory. It. Thank you. <laughs> um, there are, if you listened to our mini episode last week, there are so many fanfics that people have written for you. So even if he doesn't get his own book, just go to Wattpad. There's something there, yeah. I'm sure. Pick your happy ending. <laughs> um, but I, I am excited for Asriel and his continued story. <laughs> I, I love his character. Same. So the next relationship we're going to talk about is the the one between Cassian and Nesta. They start off very similar to how they they were in the second book. They were very much like kind of bickering with each other. Um, Cassian would like tease Nesta and Nesta would be like, like, okay, leave yeah. me alone. You're disgusting. You disgust me. I wrote here that they're the textbook example of they're only being mean to you because they like you. Like it's very childish, (laughs) very immature. Um, After the battle in uh, the summer court, whenever like Highburn was like expecting or unexpectedly attacking them, Nesta gets super worried because when 
everyone else returns from that battle, Cassian didn't because he was off like telling people's families like that their loved ones were dead. Um, Yeah, it's actually horrible, but he's like the general of the Illyrian army. So if he knew the the people that died, he would go talk to their families in person. But Nesta immediately is panicked because she is not seeing him and she assumes the worst, like that he's injured or, or worse. And so Moore has a little bit of a, like a jealous moment. Whenever Nesta's like asking about him, she's like, what do you care? You're an asshole. Like, what do you care? Yeah. And it's like more, <laughs> you, you, you should know a thing or two about like loving someone, but not being mm-hmm. honest with them. <laughs> um, yeah. So that is kind of the first time that we see that Nesta like actually is worried on page 514, um, another battle, Cassian gets like a small wound on his arm and it, it's really not like a big deal. Um, he's like, it'll heal itself. I just need to kind of like patch it up. And, but Nesta is like, how can I help? And she actually patches his arm for him. And they're all like, oh, like, okay. Like everyone's just what kind of watching. This? Like, <laughs> interesting. And then um, at the end, during the last major battle against Highburn, page 652, Cassian is laying there on his freaking deathbed. Like he is severely injured and like the king is going to come finish him off and he knows it. So he's telling us that, oh guys, it is heart wrenching. He says, I have no regrets in my life, but this, that we did not have time, that I did not have time with you, Nesta. I will find you again in the next world, the next life, and we will have that time. I promise. And she does not leave her side. She is going to sacrifice. She like lays on top of him and is just like, all right, here we go. Yeah, she she definitely feels that love that neither of them have actually admitted for each other at this point. But yeah, she gets pretty shaken up though. And, and we'll, we'll kind of revisit her story in, in book four and also in silver flames book five. Yeah. Like she's unwell. And remember too, like at the beginning of the book, like Farrah's like, why, like, why do you keep bothering with her? And he's like, because I can't walk away. Yeah. It's like, like, you know, like, you know, there's going to be mm-hmm. some stuff between them. Yeah. <laughs> you just know. Nesta, I don't know. She's an interesting character. I've never been one to, like, really love Nesta. But I do think she definitely kind of came up. Obviously, there's a lot going on with her. And mm-hmm. she's going to be one to follow. She's got this crazy power inside of her that no one really knows what it is. And everyone's terrified of her. But, I mean, she... Definitely strengthened her relationship with Feyre, and I think they kind of had to come to Jesus until her dad died, but... Yeah, that and that was another another weird thing for Nesta's character, because, like, in the first book, and even in the second book, she's like, fuck our dad, like, he's an asshole, he's a coward, like, she did not care for him. The only people that were, like, ever showed her dad, like, affection were Elaine and Feyre, and, really just Elaine uh, though. <laughs> mostly just Elaine, but Farah did have like a a relationship with her yeah. dad. Like she did care about him. She also thought he was a little bit of a coward, but yeah, you he know was. <laughs> he was. Maybe uh, he rest in peace. <laughs> but yeah, he did he did prove to them that he regretted 
you know, the way he acted whenever they yeah. had their, you know, they lost their fortune. He regretted how he didn't take care of his family. Um, so next we're going to talk a little bit about Morgan. Morgan, honey. Dude, I still don't know what's going on with more, and I don't think we ever will. Um, she did nothing this book except for cause problems. Like, yeah. And Fa- when Pharaoh would call her on her shit, she would get so mad. Of course, yeah. Like, girl. It's like listen. with the stuff with Nesta and Elaine, instead of being helpful, she's like, here, let's just drink instead. Instead of acknowledging, like, Nessa just went through something very traumatic. And yeah, she's not nice, but it's because she just, like, had her whole freaking life ruined. And yeah. Nora's like, yeah, here's a whole bottle of wine. It's okay to just drink out of it. And it's like, shut up. Like, <laughs> Moore is like that one, that one friend who will never like stop making everything about them at like the party or whatever. Yeah. Like, well, and oh like gosh. the whole thing, like, like I said, we don't really see much from her and like, she's pissed at Reese the whole time because of the stuff with Eris, but like refuses to tell anybody what really happened and doesn't really talk about that night and like has this animosity towards Eris and it's, justified if that's truly what happened um so she's pissed at Reese the whole time she's pissed at Farah most of the time divulges you know the reasons why she's been dragging our poor poor boy Asriel along for 500 years um and it's not even for a good reason because like she acts like I know in the court of nightmares or whatever like it's frowned upon that she's not reproducing with a male but like she's acting like Reese and Cassian and Azriel would care like Azriel literally just told Pharaoh the whole story about Nafel and how her mate was a woman and yeah. like they're like yeah she's a freaking amazing warrior and more is like I can't tell them my secret or they'll hate me and it's like yeah what why would you think that ever given you that impression <laughs> what has ever like led you to believe that because also not only is it um you know like there are other examples of people that they care for who are you know gay but she talks about in Valaris how it's like um there's that restaurant where it's kind of like a a safe space for like a gay bar yeah because like the owner of the restaurant and chef that that yeah like owns it is also queer yeah Rita's that's what it's called and so it's like if that exists in Valaris like this place that you call home like clearly this community is an accepting one I don't really know because like I I don't understand there's like like, nuances that go along with it like people do have fear coming out to their family 100% but I can't imagine living for 500 years with the people that I like I would lay down my life for them and they don't know that about me. Purposefully knowing full and well, one of them has like deep, deep feelings for you and is like holding out hope because you haven't told him no. Yeah. And like keep relying on him as like an emotional beanbag essentially. And like, and the thing is, okay. Yeah, she doesn't even have to come out. She could just reject I'm not him, interested. <laughs> but she doesn't because she wants to have, like, that backup, like, security. Right. She even said, like, like, I've thought about sleeping with him just to see. And it's like, that's 
fucked up. That is the worst idea I've ever heard. And thank God she didn't go through with it or I would like hate her guts. Yeah. And so I don't know. And like on top of that, her whole involvement with the war and stuff, it's like she wanted to go out and fight, but we still haven't seen any of this crazy power that she has. And I feel like the war against Tyburn is probably a pretty good time to like demonstrate that. I don't know. Something's weird about her. And And another thing that's like, what is like, if her power is the power of truth, what is the power of truth? Because she's keeping lying to your family. (laughs) So I don't understand her power at all or how it does it count if it's like a lie by omission or like, I guess I I understand what the power of truth even means. I don't know. Because even when she told the Queens (laughs) in the second book that like my power is truth and like, here's all this situation, they didn't believe her. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about more. And I honestly don't care. (laughs) I don't like her as a character. I don't either. Um, Yeah, like, (laughs) email us if you're mad that we don't like more. Sorry if, like, you feel like that's a crime against you, but, like. (laughs) We're not homophobic. This is not a hate crime. (laughs) Um, We just hate her character. She's not mad us with that bullshit. Um, Yeah. More just sucks. No, because we're all for the fact that <laughs> Cassian We love and the Azrael, inclusivity. We we were talking about this mm-hmm. last night. Cassian and Azriel 100% have slept together. I don't think that they would have slept together, just the two of them. I think it probably was like an order situation. With Helian, probably. But who knows? But I also think they weren't they weren't sober probably, but I think they did it once and then just decided that was too weird and they're never going to do it again. Yeah. Cause like, even in the second book, Cassian was like, yeah, we used to like fuck in front of each other. And it's like, <laughs> that's like, not a thing that people no, do. Like him recent, um, Asriel, they were like, yeah, we just, just like used to sleep with women just like in that cabin. And I'm like, we're just oh. roomies. Just roomies doing roomy things. Like you can't be 500 years old and not have like dabbled. Yeah. In multiple. There's like I'm Especially, I'm like I'm sure like, has like slept with men. Like there's no way he hasn't. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What a dominating Especially man. because like like think about when you're like uh like in a high lord son position, like you probably have people like throwing themselves at you. You probably like, slept with other high lord sons. Don't probably. even <gasps> Dude, he's probably slept with Tamlin. <laughs> they were they were friends. They were friends. I bet they have. I bet they that's have where all this animosity is yep. coming from. <laughs> Cracked it, dude. There's oh my no god! Way. There's no like, way they just get that out in the <laughs> open, boys. It's okay. Like, no one's judging you. Nobody's judging you. Well, I am judging you for Tamlin specifically for being an asshole. Well, he didn't used to be an asshole. That was a thing. Yeah. He's just excited. Maybe he's so bitter about Reese because like maybe he had he caught feelings for Reese, but like Reese, it it didn't mean anything to him. Guys, we're writing a fanfic. (laughs) Anyway, um check out our fanfic next week on Wattpad. (laughs) And then Farah came along and he he was like, Yeah, okay, I'm in love with Farah. And Reese was like, No, I'm in love with Farah. I actually just read a book that's really similar to this plot line. Um, if you haven't read the Fortuna Sworn series, this is essentially the plot. Oh my god, I have to read those. Wow. All right. So anyway, <laughs> we digress again. <laughs> but anyway, they've all slept with other people. There's no way around it. Um, talk about Amran. <laughs> so Amran, 
what is she? She's a being that we don't understand. We don't she know. <laughs> came from like this other world. She was like created to be like a soldier for like some some other being that ranked even higher than her. Um, she had a father at least. Um, she never said anything about a mother. I don't really know how how you know her beings work. If there's like biology involved. I don't know. Anyway, she said like she was not supposed to have like feelings of curiosity or love or like compassion. Like she kind of just existed to be like a killing machine, but she was curious. And so the hey, rift, curious. <laughs> when the rift opened up, she was like, I'm just gonna like step through that. And then she got trapped and she was like, Oh, at the end, whenever she chooses to I don't know if it's when she chooses to come back or if it's um before she actually sacrifices herself and she is explaining her choice to Feyre but she tells Feyre that she wonders if her father had opened that rift as a gift um because he could see that she like didn't actually belong in their world so that kind of like suggests that it's not necessarily that they aren't capable of feeling love and compassion it just seems like more they, of like, like a rule. not to yeah like more of like a societal thing of whatever <laughs> universe she's from yeah it's super unhelpful that she literally doesn't remember <laughs> yeah all she knows is that like when she bound herself into a, a fey body she like she definitely could feel things at a much um more magnified level than when she was like her her being before that. I do think it's weird though that she can literally remember that she had a father and that he sent her across, like that the rift opened and that she knew she was a soldier but she doesn't remember her name or what she is <laughs> collective memory it sounds like to me um yeah she could just be lying she lies a lot she's a liar <laughs> and like it's her lies are not malicious but she sure does lie a lot (laughs) but yeah it's like we see this new side of Amryn how much she cares for her family and she's willing to do anything for them literally lay down her life for them and the mentorship and friendship between her and Nesta is beautiful I think it gives Amryn kind of a newfound sense of purpose to be a mentor to Nesta and of course it's really important to Nesta she's feeling super lost Um, it's a very lovely relationship um that kind of wraps up the character side of it really like I said the whole point of this book I think was just to like build on characters and like wrap up the story of hybrid but I think it's also preparing us for like the future books um we'll move on to my favorite part personally are the theories um there's a lot for this book (laughs) y'all better buckle up if you're not sitting down already sit down yes so we already talked a little bit about um the theory of like the cauldron and was it there first was it not first um Dagden and Brana kind of touch on it too is like on page 82 they're like the exact spot exists because a person of great power or a mighty object passed through they're talking about the wall Mm -hmm. and so I am wondering if like (laughs) 
the wall was built where that original rift was or that original like rip in the world was and like things are still like maybe trying to pass through it and that's what caused like damage to the wall eventually like essentially um Stop, I, I love that so much. <laughs> um because like I feel like they talk so much about this rift that appeared and then like never followed up on it and then they talk about like how something's damaged the wall but they don't know what it was and it was too long ago for anyone to remember and so like that makes sense to me Mm -hmm. yeah I also think it's weird how this isn't really a theory this is more just like a question um like how they use last names just kind of willy-nilly in this book like why did we need to know about Lucian's last name or like the Archerons but like we can't know about like Reese-Anne's or Tamlin's or like do other people just not have them do the family names not matter um yeah it's like what is like the the tradition around like surrounding last names it would make sense to me for Pharaoh to have one just because yeah. like humans traditionally have last names um part of that I think it may tie into like other series so I'm not sure that's an ongoing one that may develop later <laughs> we um, have so much to talk about when we when we get to discuss the other to do the other books yeah um the next one is the young queen who became a crone. Um, so after, right after Tamlin takes Farah and Lucian away from the King of Highburn, um, he basically invites the rest of the queens to like try their hand at hopping into the cauldron and see what happens. <laughs> and so the young queen, who was kind of like the ringleader of this whole shenanigan, was like, I'll go first, absolutely. Like, I would like to be young forever. Cauldron immediately makes her this old withered crone. She is immortal, but she is old and gross. Um, I am deformed. I am deformed. <laughs> um, I think it backfired because she doesn't have fey blood. Um, either that or Nesta and Elaine just took everything the cauldron had to offer. But my theory is that it didn't react that way to Nesta and Elaine because their mom does have fey blood in them and it allowed them to like take the change better yeah and like become high fey because I, like I don't think what the queen was turned into is even high fey like I think it may I don't know what yeah, it made I think she she got turned into some kind of like immortal being but yeah like it wouldn't I don't think she would be high fey because um that wouldn't make sense that she would be aged like that because of her her current age you know going in yeah oh and again I don't know if it's like a like a divine intervention from the cauldron and whoever runs it or what but I do think it has to do with them having (laughs) fey blood um I do want to talk about Elaine's ability as a seer so if you remember my theory from the very first book um Feyre's mom made her at the ripe age of like nine um, swear to protect her family as the youngest child with two older sisters and a father to protect them and make sure that their lives go smoothly. So my theory is that Feyre's mom had the seeing ability as well and basically like foresaw like Feyre's like path that she needed to take in order to 
eventually like defeat the king of Highburn. And so like there was a chain of events that needed to happen and like her making that promise to her kind of like kickstarted it. Um, so I think Elaine gets her seeing abilities from their mother. Um, but I also think Thera sometimes has them too, because if you'll remember, um, she used to have dreams about Amarantha and she used to dream about, um, like the sky and like she knew what the adder looked like in her dreams so I think all of them have like they had abilities before they actually became fae and they were enhanced once they became fae yeah I totally would believe that and also like if Farah's mom was a seer and she like could maybe like foresee like her own death like coming up so she maybe prepared her husband about like the future yeah what was going to happen and and she was kind of like here's what needs to happen Farah needs to be like the provider and maybe that's why he didn't step up um Ooh, and she's like have- when the time comes like you need to get this army together this is who you need to look for this is what you need to say to like make it happen that would make more sense than what we have right yeah. now explaining it because we don't have any explanation right now. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. Ooh, and I wonder if it's like because they were from the eighth court, like if that is like something that like happened like frequently, like Sears came more frequently from like the eighth court. Like in the autumn court, they have like fire and like uh, yeah, it's like their their power, like their yeah. um court power, I guess you would call mm-hmm. it like court family power interesting like Tamlin's a shape-shifting yeah interesting one other just because I don't think that we've mentioned this we've definitely talked about it before but I don't think we've mentioned it yet on the podcast um but Farah had like asked if it was possible about the cauldron misfiring and so like you point out here Miss Sarah J doesn't usually like include stuff for funsies like it usually has like a purpose um so it's like is that foreshadowing maybe it misfired uh Lucian and Lucian and Elaine's mating bond because their mating is just like not working (laughs) doesn't make sense um so we'll keep that in mind I feel like I don't know I am a firm believer that Sarah J Mass slips things in there that matter later on so if she if you ever see weird shit in her books it probably matters write it down (laughs) write that down it's important sticky note it highlight it write it down I know like a lot of people after reading this book they're like Asriel and Elaine are going to end up together but I don't I don't think that's the case I don't think so either I don't know because like I think it's really weird okay they always talked about how being mates is like super freaking rare mm-hmm. and yeah like she but just happened to be mated it could have just it could have just happened because like the cauldron was like shooting out a bunch of power anyway yeah. and it or was it's like- because like they're super special and like nothing's been made like that and so the cauldron's like gotta mate you off because you got yeah. a lot of power that's yeah a good point because um who says it to Farah? maybe it's the surreal in book two and uh because she's like kind of surprised when she learns that she is Resan's mate and the surreal is like does it not make sense like he's the most powerful high lord in history right. you were made um into a high fae like you guys are a, a pretty like great match and Farah's right. like I didn't really see it that way and Lucian's but, the son of a high lord well Lucian is like the heir <laughs> to the yeah um, summer Doncor, wherever Helian's from mm-hmm. so that yes. makes sense and Lucian definitely has um 
powers, like, you know, he's got like the fire powers or whatever, but do you think he has other powers that he keeps tamped down because I do he's like that would be super sus because remember um, when Farah used like the bright light or like the healing power to like break the bond or like the thing that the king of Highburn had at his castle oh, yeah and Lucian was like I knew what that was because I have a friend who can do the same thing what if he it's like he's his friend and like he can do that he can do the same thing so like because so she got that from he knows, maybe he knows that he's helium's heir but he's like maybe he's scared to bring it up because he doesn't want helium to like freak out and like try to kill him or something like maybe that's why he can see through glamours with his eye because like he has the ability to like break bell cleaver yeah oh and like he just uses like his eyes like kind of a conduit basically i definitely think that that makes more sense than just the mechanical eye having that ability it, it would make sense that it's like kind of a way to amplify his powers yeah um Ooh, yeah that's I an idea that. We just keep we just keep adding on to these things. Sarah J. Mass, hire me on. I will finish your novels for you. It's fine. Yeah. Uh hire us as consultants. We'd love to help. We've got a lot of ideas. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Sarah, shoot us an email at the sisterswarden at gmail.com. Insane um, for you guys. Um that kind of wraps up our take on a court of wings and ruin um we were super super excited to cover this one today we're excited to go over the akatar christmas special that is a court of frost and starlight for our next episode um if you have any theories though or thoughts or um if you read anything that you know kind of strikes you as interesting email it to us send us uh, send it into us we're always super excited to take new ideas from y'all um if you want to keep following along with some more of Sarah J. Mass's work, um, the new Crescent City novel just recently came out. This is a, a plug for that. It was amazing. <laughs> Definitely encourage you guys to, to pick up that series. Not a sponsor. Wish it would be. Just um, a <laughs> Just a really big fan, yeah. Um, but yeah, tune in next week when we um, cover our next mini-sode. Yeah, so next week we will be chatting about our Goodreads uh, 2022 reading challenges and the books we've read so far this year and what we thought of them. Um, and yeah, we'll just be kind of chatting about that. So like we if said, email you have any books us. that you'd like to add to our Goodreads list, let us know. Oh, yes. If you have any good recommendations, we want to hear them. And as always, let's get lit. <laughs>